As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. This racing lifestyle ain't made for everybody. We're a special breed with special needs, but we all came apart. No friends on the track, but in the pits we know the truth. And this a way your life fits the only thing that we do. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss Stephanie Bustin, Nass, and Chet, a.k.a. Jet Drag. (laughs) Oh, yeah, love it. (laughs) <laughs> Jed, how are you? We uh, we discussed this a little bit later in the show, but we are on basically the, the one day that we both have uh, between <laughs> the Spring Fling Million at Bristol and the, the Guaranteed Million, the Great American Guaranteed Million at Memphis. I know you're going to spend a couple extra days at work. Uh, we're recording this Monday night. I'm going to get on the road to Memphis at some point tomorrow with family. Um, so we're coming to you uh, a little bit, a little jet lagged, a little road lagged, a little weary, uh, excited, uh, not only for the, the week that was, but the week to come. Uh, we're actually going to drop this episode today a little bit earlier in the week than normal. We did miss last week. Uh, we were both in Bristol, had a lot going on. A little bit of miscommunication between us, and let's be honest, um, we didn't really have like a great plan. So sorry, we missed a week. We're making it up this week. Uh, so what was going to be episode 200, we're now episode 199, the big 200. Is that a, is that a bicentennial? Is that a bicentennial episode? 
I don't even know what that means, Luke. So no. I don't think that's accurate. I don't know. Whatever. 200 seems like a big thing. That'll be next week's show. And on that show, uh, we'll be talking about, may even be joined by uh, someone that just won a legit million dollars in Memphis. Yeah, and Luke, let's, I mean, look, I appreciate the way you went about that whole missing uh, last week thing. That was very professional on your part, but let's just tell everybody, it was my week to handle things by myself, and I just flat failed, okay? I just didn't get it done. I was trying to get to Bristol. It was everything I could do to get there. Then there was a plan to maybe try to do something Thursday night from Bristol, and, you know, Thursday was a busy day, so thank you for trying to to take some of that responsibility on yourself, but it was a failure on my part. So anybody that missed the show last week, if, if you know, our two loyal listeners really missed it, or if you just didn't think you had gotten to it yet, and it's not there, but whatever, it was on me. So By the way, I failed. Mark made an interesting comment earlier. We got like zero negative feedback for not having a show next week. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> but you know, just in case, like you know, I haven't heard these guys in a while yet. We 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 dropped the ball last week, and I don't I don't want to break each other's arm patting one another on the back, Jed. Like I appreciate you you taking the the falling on the sword, so to speak. But I will say, um, like generally, I do develop the schedules for this, and I did schedule your quote unquote week to be the week that, in addition to a full time job. You were going to go compete in an event six hours from home that you also announced at. Probably wasn't the greatest plan. <laughs> so I'll, I'll take some credit here where credit is due as well. Um, nonetheless, we've got a great show on tap. Obviously, we're going to talk all things Sprinkling Million. Um, we're going we're gonna to heap well-deserved praise upon Scotty Richardson. Uh, we have not met since the Galat fling, so we'll go back and recap that as well. Touch really briefly on the NHRA points chases as they begin to wind down. Um, also, some more tickets punched to the Summit ET Finals runoff with Division 7 Finals um, last weekend. I believe it was at Bakersfield. Um, so a lot to touch on. We kind of revisit at our last show. We, uh, we made some bold predictions for this incredible uh, four-week stretch of quote-unquote million-dollar races. We're one-third of the way through that, and uh, and we'll recap, see where uh, where our bold predictions may have already gone wrong, and uh, some others that that may yet come to fruition. So, great show on tap. But first, as always, our friend PJ North. I think I'm Lupagaki, Betty and Edmund. Don't let me catch you later. You'll get dropped right on your head, man. Three-day marathon, chasing all the gold. Jed, as we record, it is late Monday evening. We are a little over 24 hours removed from the Spring Fling Million. We are a little less than 24 hours away from the Great American Guaranteed Million in Memphis. Uh, I fair to say that we're both running on fumes a little bit yeah uh luke i i'm less I'm, you might be but i'm less than 24 hours being home um and uh worked a full day i have gone to my six-year-old stepdaughter's 
softball game, which was super exciting. We lost 11 to 10. It was very exciting. And now recording the podcast. So, I mean, just between the ride home and right now, it's uh, it's still been uh, very busy. Yeah, and, and more on tap. Um, it's yes. a week already, and, uh, and it's just it's going to get better. So that being said, uh, we're here for the people. Of we have course. a podcast to record. And oh, I don't think, yes, we are. <laughs> Any place to start, but the Spring Fling Million in Bristol. When Scotty Richardson rolled in, into Bristol Dragway last week, there was really one single accomplishment missing from his resume. In 20 plus years of running million dollar races, Scotty Richardson was no stranger to success, been to the split numerous times, been to the final round of two separate million dollar races, actually in the same year. Granted, it was almost 20 years ago, but that was the one trophy that he hadn't held. And we can't say that anymore. Scotty Richardson wins Spring Fling Million, Bristol. Yeah, Luke, definitely, as you said, um, it was uh, it was an accomplishment that is quote-unquote missing or was missing from his resume and his long list of accomplishments. Um, I don't I don't think had Scotty never won one, I don't, I don't think we would have viewed him any different, but I think he viewed himself missing something, and that is now checked off the list officially. Yeah, I would agree. I, I don't, when you think of Scotty Richardson's accomplishments, I don't think there was, there's any, ever has ever been for the for the last two decades i don't think that there's been any glaring omission but it was obviously one that he wanted and uh and well i mean it's one that every racer wants but uh it's the only thing that he hadn't done <laughs> and uh and he just checked it off the list i was i, I guess i had I, I think i've actually been in attendance for all of them but i never really put it together jed until you were interviewing scotty after the final and he actually said now his four biggest wins, those were his, his words, right? What he views as his four biggest wins have all come at that facility. Uh, it's a hundred grander that George Howard put on probably a decade ago and your first two world footbreak challenges, I assume, or, or what he's talking about, two fifty granders, mm -hmm. uh, all at Bristol. So obviously Scotty wins everywhere, has won everywhere for basically my entire life, but uh, Bristol's been good to him. It has been very good to him and, and understandably, um, you know, it's, it's a driver's track, Luke. It's uh, Bristol throws you curveballs. Uh, you need to have all the tools in the bag to be competitive there. And Scotty obviously has a toolbox or tool bag full. So, you know, it's understandable that, that he's successful there. And there's, there's reasons for that. That, that place is tricky. Oh, absolutely. I do think, I mean, Scotty's skill set is basically unmatched, but I think what he does best is absolutely magnified at Bristol. And I think it came into, I, I think it was on showcase in the million. Um, I, I was telling this to somebody uh, sometime within the last 24 hours that I've, I've watched and, and in awe, to be completely honest, of Scotty Richardson's ability for three decades. And on the pantheon of his performances, this wasn't one of the all-time great Scotty moments, right? Like particularly on the starting line, he was very mediocre, but he was lights out at the finish line. 
And to your point, Bristol is just one of those places where it's just hard to make good time trials. Like it's, it favors the finish line driver. And I don't think our sport has ever seen a finish line driver that truly matches Scotty Richardson. And the way that he went about it in a slow door car, committed, obviously, if you were watching, committed to holding, you know, not afraid to dial up in his 6-0 door car, regardless of the opponent. Hence the final, you know, being the prime example, got a 450 dragster, dials up two, right? Um, and just absolutely drove the lights out of the finish line. So um, I thought it was, I don't know, I've got an interesting take on this, Jed, and I almost feel like we talked about this a little bit with the uh, the young guns versus the uh, the has-beens, right? And how we both just kind of lean has-been because, I don't know, I, I just think we have a reverence for that group of guys, you know? And this, Scotty's win, I know it did for me, and I, I think it did for a lot of racers of our generation. Like, it was almost refreshing if if that's possible because it was like a, a return to kind of the old guard and not just that it was Scotty Richardson winning, but the manner in which he did it, like he wasn't making time trials. It was kind of going back to the way that we raced 10, 15, 20 years ago and putting more of an emphasis on the finish line and less an emphasis on the precision of making like 5,000 packages. You know what I mean? It just, I don't know. I thought it was a breath of fresh air and it, it made me feel good. And I just, I don't know, man. I don't know if this is like a perspective changing experience because I think for years, everyone looked at Scotty, not so much as like the guy that we didn't like, but the guy that just won too much, right? Like it was hard to root for him. And now you kind of, I, I just, his, you did the, the winter circle picture, the winter circle interview with Scotty. And I was just kind of taken aback by the emotion and it really hit home for me because I just, I heard a man that has been through kind of the, the transition that maybe I feel like I'm, I'm beginning to embark on myself. Like I've reached a point in my life, probably just within the last five years where for the first time racing wasn't like the single most important overlying thing in my life. And I'm from a com from a competitive standpoint, like a little bit struggling to grasp that. Not that I don't feel competitive when I go racing, but like I'm not at the tip of the sword. Like that's not all that matters in my life. And I feel like, particularly after hearing Scotty talk about it, like he's been through that and is kind of maybe on the transition on the other side to where he's really kind of getting back into racing and, and accepting that role and can still do it obviously can still do it like i don't know just the emotion that poured out of him like i just that really spoke to me and i almost feel like maybe that turns a a page so to speak in our sports perspective for that man and his accomplishments and maybe it becomes a little bit more revered from this point on does, does that make sense at all oh yeah uh, makes perfect sense and watching it play out uh, that that's that fits how it went down uh, i mean i i think people are genuinely rooting for scotty now um he he stepped out of the racing scene for a little while over the last several years i think here in the last couple he has gotten back and and 
made the bigger events a little more regular, put them on his schedule a little more regular. But uh, Scotty and I had some discussion throughout that uh, top end interview process for those couple two or three rounds, and you know he um, he wasn't saying it in a way that he was angry about it or that his feelings were hurt, but he was definitely uh, had a level of pride every time that wind light come on because he, you know, he alluded to the the fact or maybe the uh, maybe the fact maybe his perception that you know they forgot about him, you know that that he's no longer relevant at these events, but uh, obviously uh, that isn't the case. Um, I, when you look at his performance, Luke, I would say Scotty would probably give that the same grade you did, probably B to, to B plus on the starting line and A plus plus on the finish line. Um, it was, it was, quintessential Scotty. I mean, it was, it was what we know he's capable of at the finish line. It looked like he could put any dial he wanted on the, on the, either the Chevy two or the S10 and oh, run yeah. it. 50. I'm not betting against him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he just looked like whatever he wanted to put on the window, he'd put on it and do it. And, um, that's, uh, that's Scotty. That's the Scotty we know. But in the, the round of, Five, where if he turned on the wind light, no matter what he was, he was going to the final because everybody remaining had had a bye. So if his wind light comes on, he's going to the final. And as you know, Bristol, even though it's long, when you go through the finish line, you can click it off and you can coast to the ticket booth. And Scotty was coasting down the the return road, and I was down there waiting at the ticket booth to do the the top end interview. And he let out, uh, uh, I guess, a, a happy, excited, you know, you ha or Yahoo or just a big woo. And I mean, I heard it. He was he was at least 200 feet from me, and I heard it inside the car. And you know, I'm I thought, you know, this obviously it's a big deal. But I thought, how cool is this? That what all Scotty has won and what all he's accomplished in his life, and he's still getting jacked about this. And when he got out of the car, you know, he knew he didn't get it. He knew he got by with one there, and I think he was 24 in that run. And he said, you know, been struggling. I'm hitting a few of these 20s and some teens. And he said, I'm, I'm trying to be double O, but, you know, those last two runs, both of them, he was double O seven. Uh, so, you know, he found it when he needed it. He, he, got himself jacked up for the final and then as you talked about in the winter circle um the the first 50 grand foot brake race that scotty won of ours obviously he won both of them as you mentioned he uh he was coming out of a tough time in his life uh don't really know all the details but i know that there was uh, some challenges in his life personally and he was very very emotional and he he collected that $50,000 payday and you know I thought well that's pretty dang cool as well um I mean you were there obviously you run it up and I thought it was pretty cool for Scotty to get jacked about that uh and then here we are 14 years later and he wins the spring playing million there and, and we all saw that raw emotion in the winter circle 
Uh, and I, you know, there was, I can only imagine what all was in that, probably a little bit of, hey, I'm still here. Probably, hey, a little bit of, I'm not sure I ever thought I would be able to do this again on this level. And, you know, I imagine financially that was a, a pretty big boost to him. So um, there was, there was probably a lot of reasons why he was so emotional, but I thought it was really cool that, that he showed all that raw emotion in the final and, and it just shows how big that moment really is when a guy like Scotty Richardson um, puts out that kind of emotion in his winter circle. Now, I, I found it very humanizing, you know, for a, a man that I think most of us, certainly of, of, of my generation, your generation, just looked at as a, as a Goliath, as a machine. You know what I mean? I, I thought it was very humanizing of him to, to be as transparent and open as he was. Like, I, yeah. Knowing Scotty the way that I do, I, I won't say that it surprised me, but I just thought it was really raw and, and cool. It was, an, it, was a, it was a neat moment. Yeah, I agree. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch on, A, <laughs> this is such a Scotty move. Uh, the car that he won in, I think he's owned for like two months. <laughs> I, it's, it's, uh, one of his nephew's cars is actually, I think Austin actually owns the car, if I, if I understood that right. But it's been in their position, possession for a couple of months. And it continues what's, what is now becoming a really fun and uh, interesting trend. The two richest events of this season have not been won by $100,000 for dragsters. They've been won by back half door cars, right? A pair of Chevy twos that I don't know, they're twenty, thirty thousand dollar race cars. Like they're they're not the the whiz bang, like highest tech, latest doodad gadget. They're they're not what a lot of us would look at as the best equipment. And that is what bracket racing is all about. You know, if you got the right guy behind the wheel and the chips fall into play and you can have a good car that is not an expensive car. Steve Sisko and Scotty Richardson both prime examples of that. Uh, I, I think I, overall, like I, I'm obviously, I, I own dragsters. I've had success in dragsters. I'm not anti-dragster by any means, but I do think seeing cars like that win events of that magnitude, I guess this one's a little bit different because it's arguably being driven by the, the greatest to ever do it. But seeing cars like that win races like this, I think is good for our sport. I couldn't agree more. Um, and, you know, I'm definitely feeling like I need a wheel stand in Chevy too. I mean, both the millions this year has been won by Chevy twos that pop wheelies. So, I mean, I, I, you know, I've got the Nova part of it and I can pop a wheelie if I want to. So you would think that I would win a million bucks this weekend. I mean, it's kind of almost a given, but hey. you, you might need a Chevy twice to get that done. I'm not sure, <laughs> but yeah, I agree, Luke. Um, you know, certainly those cars internally are beyond average. Uh, they, they've got the best stuff that you can put in a hot rod and, and the people that prepare those cars know how to make them very good. But it is refreshing to see not only a door car do it, but a door car that probably a lot of people at the racetrack, you know, 80, 85% of the racetrack or people at the racetrack could go get themselves. And and get out there now can they be as competitive as a steve cisco and a scotty richardson that's uh, obviously debatable but um still the cars themselves were not something 
out of reach for the average guy like us. The million itself, as it wound down in the rounds, I mean, obviously you've got, you know, I, th I think most would agree one of the two best, if not the best to ever take the wheel winning the thing. But from what, 17 cars on, I mean, it was just a list of first ballot Hall of Famers. I don't think we've even discussed Nick Polk, who to this point was what, three thousandths of a second away from us spending the first 10 minutes of this podcast heaping praise on him, right? Yep. And Nick's another one, like you mentioned, the skill set necessary to win Bristol. Nick's another lights out finish line driver. Like that's, it's no surprise that he found himself there. And in the million itself, I mean, Kyle Coltrera is in the semis. Kyle's too young to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he's on that trajectory, right? Uh, yeah. Cozy's down five. Tommy Plott was in late. Uh, both of the Sarah brothers were in late. Um, I know that I'm leaving some names off, but it, it was big name after big name there uh, once it got into the split rounds. I think Corey Manuel was down to nine. There was a lot of um, the biggest names in the sport involved late in the big show. Yeah, and you you know, you know had some uh, West Coast love in your um, top five bold predictions, and Shane Thompson was, uh, was trying to get that done very early in this big three-race stretch. Uh, Shane, very deep in the program himself. So uh, there was, um, there were some, <laughs> man, there were some uh, heavy hitters. And I wasn't sure, you know, if the door cars could, could hang in there. Now they got breaks here and there. Obviously, Scotty got a couple of, of good breaks. But um, I really felt like with the talent that was in the long cars there as it was winding down, I, I felt like, you know, it was going to be a long cars race, uh, getting a little cool and, you know, track, track seemed to hold up really well, but uh, just as tricky as Bristol is, I just really felt like the dragsters and the talent that was in them was going to get it done. And, you know, reality is Nick, Nick made a winning run. I mean, he's 11 dead one. Um, just. I'd take it. You're darn right. I would. Um, <laughs> you know, I, uh, Especially given the way, and you alluded to it, just the way that the, really the late rounds in, in any million tend to play out, but specifically that one, like it got cold fast, and obviously nothing's going to go down the track in between million-dollar rounds. So, I mean, the last couple of rounds, you're going out there on a track that, I mean, it's 48 degrees outside, and the track's been sitting for 20, 25 minutes between rounds. Like, it's not the easiest course to navigate, at least in theory. Yeah, and, you know, Nick's laying down 12, and you know that, although it's Scotty Richardson, you know the guy in the door car is holding a little. So, I mean, that has to be done to perfection. Yeah. You, you, got to, you got to master it on both ends when the dragster, the 450 dragster, is laying you down 12 total. And he did exactly what he had to do. And okay. Put down, put down nine. So it was, it was very impressive. He could just call timeout mid-run and say okay the door car is nine on the tree and going i don't know how much 200s under and the dragsters 12 total if it's anybody but scotty richardson what are the odds that the door car wins the round i'd say 17 percent that's high i'd i'd say i'd take half of that <laughs> yeah. now let's 
it's got in the door card. Like the odds go up, but yeah. I don't think less he, than 50. Yes, I agree. I mean, I think Scotty probably triples the odds of anyone else being in the car. But, yeah, that's still a tough one to play. Hey, you got to take 3,000 on, what, a 40-mile-an-hour faster opponent, and you got to kill 100 and a half or more to do it. There's not many people that can pull that off consistently. I think Scotty, no. obviously, he did. Um, but, yeah, that's, it's a really impressive way to, way to cap off a really impressive day. <clears throat> yeah, couldn't agree more. Congratulations, Scotty. That was uh... – that was one you don't you don't typically check that off your list at at his age and at the the amount of times he puts himself on the racetrack these days. But he is Scotty Richardson, and uh, that's that was the difference. So really happy to see him get that one put behind him. Scotty scored one for the old guys. Scotty scored one for the has-beens. Yeah, Jed, you're. One of our bold predictions, and we'll get into all of them later in the show from the last time that we got together, was that the winner of the Spring Fling Million would be under 23 years of age. You, you missed on that one. Is Scotty, is he over 23? Just, just barely. I think uh, mm, I, Nick's not quite double that, but close. Like Nick's a year or two older than me. I'm pretty sure that Nick's age starts with a four. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, so the has-been score the, the I guess the, the has-beens win the war the young gods won the battle we missed on that one yeah yeah you know that one I called it 5-3 has-beens um, it was really close to that being the case but it wasn't close enough and they they went to a 4-4 draw, as you know, Luke, and I think everybody listening knows. And, you know, then they, they both has-beens and young guns picked their racer to go to the the one-run shootout and all gone young guns get it done by a thou. This had so much drama. Like, you couldn't have scripted it better than – Oh, it was awesome. But it was incredible. And – I'll actually, I'll come into this with a, maybe a, a unique take. Um, for me, <clears throat> the two impressive, the two most impressive performances from the weekend come from Scotty Richardson and Peter Biondo, which should come as no surprise. <laughs> one and one A, right? The, 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 yeah. I, don't, I don't think many people would debate the two best to ever do what we're doing. Obviously, Scotty wins the biggest race of his career on, um, you know, one of, if not the biggest stages in sportsman racing. We've talked about that enough. What Peter did, okay, the Hasbins didn't win. So it's easy to gloss over. There's a couple of things I want to pinpoint here. Okay, as you said, they went 4-4. So there's a one race, one round runoff to see who wins the thing. So the has-beens get together and you keep in mind you've got eight of the best racers in the history of our sport and the way that i understand that like they all just kind of pointed and was like yeah pete like there was no discussion as immediately to going to represent them and keep in mind <laughs> not only does pete like not really racing anymore i mean i i know he's been racing at new media he's probably been out four times this year 
he wasn't racing in the event. By the way, it's an event that he puts on. Jed, can you, like, you and I know the stress that goes into promoting, hosting an event. And I think it's fair to say we both are very hands-on in our events. I, I don't think anyone is more hands-on than Pete is in the flings, right? I mean, yeah. pulling the strings of everything that's going on. Can you imagine step, stepping outside the stress level of that to compete in the same event? Because I can't. No, no, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't dream of it. And, uh, you know, at my races, um, if you pick out one of the better racers to come out and race me, I'm on, I mean, they're going to destroy me anyway. So not only did he get out there and do it, and as you're, you're alluding to here, he did it extremely well. And he made three runs. He made the time trial, the the first round where he got up on the got the better end of Hunter Patton, and then the runoff against Gage Birch. And he was like, like I think he had a two thousandths window on the tree. He was between double oh four and double oh six. Yeah. And the most impressive thing, I, I wasn't there to witness this in person. I was driving I was en route to Bristol, listening to it on the live feed as I drove. And the most impressive thing to me was Pete's commentary throughout. Because he's just telling us what he's about to be. He's like, yeah, so I was 004. I'm going to put like a thou in. I'll be 005. Like, it's one thing to do that. It's another thing to tell the thousands of people listening, like, here's what I'm about to do and do it. Like, it's just, it blew me away when you take the whole, the entire circumstance as a whole. And I know people get sick of it. Like, you know, we're just blowing up heat. Like, but I, I think this is deserving. Like, this is amazing to go in the stress level, the lack of sleep, whatever, like, to, that goes into putting on an event. Like, just hop in. I'm going to run this race that is, oh, by the way, you know, like, probably has more eyeballs on it than the final. Right? This is, we've been building this up, oh, this yeah. thing. And I'm going to carry the flag for team has been, and I'm going to just be unflappable. Like, and I'm going to tell everybody, like, not in a cocky way, but like, this is what I'm about to do and then go do it. Like, I mean, it ends up, it was on the losing end. He says he's a thousandth behind Gage Birch. I, Pete said afterwards, like he gave it back a thou, like whatever, he screwed up and it's a thousandth. Could have gone either way, but I just thought the whole performance was super impressive and wanted to note it. Yeah. And, he, and obviously he's coming off of a, a, a week long, um, ball fling, I guess, uh, at, at Galat. So, you know, you're coming right out of that into another. Now, I couldn't imagine competing at one of my events with all I have going on. I certainly couldn't imagine back-to-back -back huge events like this in two different cities in two different states and then have the focus to get out there and make laps like that. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was really, as you know, you have in your notes, it, it was so impressive to see what the two that we consider you know probably the greatest of all time in what we do both get to display their their skill and ability on a stage like that when that was the only way Pete gets to do it and you know he got the opportunity and showed what he's capable of um you know at, at, you talk about the giving it back a thou um, as we always talk about you didn't give it back a thou because you never got it right 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 um but you know he talked about it and he said you know immediately the the 
the uh, has-beens picked him. It was there was there was less than two seconds of discussion. He said they all just pointed at him. Said you're the guy. Go do it. He just beat Hunter Patton. So you know, obviously, Pete showing what he's made of there, and then the the young guns kind of held out. They wouldn't tell him. They wouldn't tell the the has-beens who they were picking. Um, so they kind of slow played him a little bit, and then they throw their slowest or next to slowest car at him and they they like the 50 mile per hour difference to their advantage so you know it worked out because peter said if you know the one thing you you lose when you don't make enough laps is that finish line ability and and seeing enough 640 cars that you're chasing to have a good feel for where you're going by them and how you're going by them. And, and I'd agree. I mean, you know, starting line's a starting line, but it looks the same every time you pull up to it, but the finish line looks different every dial in you chase. So uh, they, they played that as part of their strategy and it worked. No, hats off to the, to the strategy of the young guns without question, because in that situation, like you would, you would give like the, the, the talent edge typically to the younger crowd but you think the old guys are going to be cagey right that was a cagey move on behalf of the young guns like to get together because you would just think on paper like you're just going to point to like hunter patton's had the unbelievable season that can't be beat and ezel's on that team and peeps pennington not to take anything away from from gage like he's incredible but to actually think that through as a team and say you know i think our best chance here is to go with the slower car that's really good and just challenge even though he's Peter Biondo, challenge him to beat you with, you know, a 50 mile an hour difference, everything, everything that you just explained, like I, that's crafty. And, um, and you typically yeah. wouldn't put it on the under 25 crowd to be crafty. So hats off to them. That was, it was a good plan and obviously very well executed by Gage Birch. Yes. Well done. Overall take, and we'll, we'll kind of put a nice bow on the spring fling million. Um, Luke, before we get to that. Okay. Another thing that we need to mention is not in our notes. Steve Witherow won fifty thousand dollars for a freaking time shot. That was a damn good time shot. Yes, it was perfect and dead on with a zero. But that Brodick's run for the fifty k thing, you know, that's obviously those guys are playing the odds. You pay fifty bucks and come up and run. And if somebody makes a perfect run, we'll pay you fifty grand. Um, who's gonna make a perfect run? And it was late too, Luke. It was real late in this thing. I mean, I don't know. There had to have been there couldn't have been more than thirty to forty mm-hmm. people left in it. And every time somebody lights at triple zero, you know, we're all in the tower like, oh boy, oh boy, that's it. And Withero lights at triple zero, and it's like if anybody's going dead on with zero, I mean, this guy, this guy's somebody that's very capable, and he lights it up, and it was unbelievable, unbelievable. 150 G's, Luke. He told me afterwards, like, you can just imagine all of the thoughts running through Steve Withrow's head as he's going down the track and then as the scoreboard lights up. Like, he sees it at first, jacked up, yes, and then he's like, wait, did I read that wrong? Was I actually dialed 467? He looked down at the at the dial controller on the dash. He's like, yes, that's what I, that's what I went. This has got to be some kind of cruel joke. 
and he says as he's coming back up the return road he sees people kind of gravitating out from their trailers and said he felt like Earnhardt went in Daytona you know I mean just a, a mob of, of people kind of surrounding him coming up the return road had to be just incredible can you imagine like a having seeing the triple zero pop up on the scoreboard and having your hopes like oh like you know what are the odds but this could happen right I got the first part <laughs> yeah. and then that thing lights up that on zero like I 50 grand for a time trial unbelievable I don't how many have you made a perfect run in your life Jed? Um, I have made a perfect run on the old system where way back in the day when 501 was perfect. Okay. But I have never made it on a triple zero on a on a real good timing system that shows you the real the real deal. No, I've never made one. Okay, I've done it twice, and um, completely by mistake both times. Like, and never on cue. You know what I mean? That's what's so. Sure. This like it doesn't really matter what you do if you don't if you're not perfect. Like <laughs> this, this time trial, whatever. There's prizes for a great package, but you know it, it pales in comparison to fifty grand. And to actually come up perfect on cue on demand, um, pretty cool stuff. Yeah, that as exciting moment as there was all weekend, no question. And your call on it was fantastic, by the way. Oh well, I appreciate that. <laughs> I was I was jacked. <laughs> Actually, at uh, I was at Steve Cisco's trailer, and we were I was admiring his Vega, and we're talking. And I think Steve first heard the "ow," oh! and we both went running into the trailer. He's like, "Somebody hit it! Somebody hit it!" And then we're <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was a very exciting moment. <laughs> so uh, quick again, bow on the on the Spring Fling Million. Um, Roughly 500 cars for the for the weekend total entries, uh, which is huge. But if we backtrack to two weeks ago, the last time that we recorded, not as huge as either of us had anticipated. Like we we saw potentially six seven hundred cars there. It's hard to say that 500 is a disappointment. I think we'd have to we'd have to do some uh, research and stats on this. 349 entered the million, and I want to say that that's a record for like any traditional million. I, I think that's the largest purse and the largest car count. Close, but I don't know that it's ever had 349, 350 before. I paid $375,000 to win. Um, but again, I think, at least to my expectations, the car count was a little bit lower. And when you, a little bit lower than I expected. And when you zoom out from that a little bit into a vacuum, like it makes perfect sense. There is a race that pays a guaranteed million dollars this weekend. The OG million is in two weeks. Racers have to pick and choose a little bit. And mm -hmm. there were a lot of big name. Obviously, there was a lot of big names, a lot of, of, of great racers in Bristol. But I found myself riding through the pits going, oh, you know, so-and-so is not here. So-and-so is not here. And I know that we'll see them in Memphis or we'll see them in Montgomery. You know what I mean? And I just, I don't think it's realistic for many, certainly not most, to make this entire swing. And, um, and I think that that, um, was illustrated in, you know, not certainly not a small car count by any stretch of the imagination, but it not quite hitting the uh, the grand expectations and, and visions that some of us had, particularly after the SFG 500 was postponed. Yeah, uh, I agree, Luke. I, I felt like the the overall car count was going to be higher. I did have in our um, in our text, you you got group text. You know, I did have 357 oh. million. I, I picked lower than that after um, 
after some thought and consideration that, that you know the car count would be a little lower i don't know who it was with other group or maybe maybe I even did it on the podcast i don't know but um but it ended up 349 but that was 70 percent of their highest car count for the week yeah which was 498 so 70% like i mean the people were there for the million mm-hmm. that was uh that was a little bit surprising to me i don't i don't think we've seen an event in a non-guaranteed million format that got 70% of the crowd entering the big race um they did some raffles and things there's there's they're very creative in ways they get people in the million through these um, Monday night football deals and all the stuff they do. So they, they create a lot of those entries, but they still got it done 70% of their total crowd. So that was, that was pretty impressive. Yeah, no, I expected that percentage to be higher than normal, but to your point, 70% is huge. I mean, I think it's normally 50 to 55, somewhere in that range. I think you're right. So for, you know, literally what a hundred more people, than that to enter the million yeah that, that's yeah. a big number and i do think it just kind of speaks to the current climate and the current times and um if you're if you're able to economically and time-wise take that week then you're more often more so than in the past also able to fork over that two thousand dollar entry fee so interesting times the yeah. the precursor to the Spring Fling Million was just a week prior, as you mentioned earlier, uh, the Galat Fling, the, the, spring, the, the Fling team's second trip to North Carolina this year. I was not at Galat, you were not at Galat, but we kept up as best we could once you hit the high points for us, Big Jed. Yeah, Luke, so obviously the guys uh, start out with a, a dragster uh, chassis deal, and, that, and I know Gary Williams running that up. I, I couldn't find it. I couldn't find who won that, uh, but they start that out on Tuesday of, of all the flings. I don't know if you guys remember who won or not, but I couldn't find that information for some reason. I probably didn't research it well enough, but Wednesday they get into their 15K warm-up race, and the aforementioned Kyle Cotrera that uh, semi in the, the spring fling million got off to a great start and got that 15K win over Gary Williams. That was Gary's second runner-up uh, in back-to-back days. As uh, in, in two different cars. In two different cars. One was the door truck um, and one was the dragster. So uh, Gary obviously doing what Gary does and got his week started well. Thursday they had a 25K. My old buddy Andy Dolan, um, I, folks might not know Andy by name, but he's got the uh, uh, good-looking G-body Malibu with uh, the green and black um, side stuff going on it. And uh, Andy's a unique-looking guy with kind of a wild-looking goatee and a little bit of a ponytail, just a, kind of a guy you wouldn't think you'd want to meet in the alley somewhere, but super nice, one of the nicest guys at the racetrack and obviously very talented and gets a, a big win over A.J. Ash, A.J getting out and doing some racing now instead of uh, race directing and showing what he's capable of. Um, we all know what he's capable of, but and big v- final round for AJ. By the way, was surprised I didn't see AJ there, uh, especially coming off a, a big final round like that. 
So that was one of the names I was thinking of that earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe he had a prior engagement or something, or he's just saving it up to to make a run down the stretch in these other two. But that happened to be Luke of all the flings that we've had. Andy Dolan and AJ Ash happened to be the first all door car fi door car final, excuse me, in fling history. No way. That can't be that right. Was, I, it can't be right, but that's what they said. So maybe oh. it is. But I, I was shocked by that. I really thought surely there had been. Because we've been doing this is what the eleventh year of the fling, and for what the last five years there's been multiple flings each year that is very surprising that there hasn't been an all-door car final yeah i was shocked by it so maybe that's not true but i think it is because i think johnny d said it is so um they go into friday which was going to be the main event 100k and got some weather obviously those that were there know it was a pretty rainy friday so they scratched friday all together and started out saturday combining Saturday's 25K and Friday's 100K. And that was a, a final round with uh, a door car versus dragster. And the door car gets it done. Bobby Bladen, Luke out of Maryland, um, a guy that I don't think we see out here doing a whole lot of this on this stage, gets a $125,000 win, which, you know, with all that's going on and million dollars this and 500,000 that, you know, that, that could, as crazy as it sounds, can get lost in all of this, but yeah. a freaking 125K win <laughs> over one of the best to do it, and that's Rabbit, Kevin Brennan, is a super big deal, super big deal, and Bobby Bladen got that done, uh, and, and certainly a uh, shout out to our buddy KB, Kevin Brennan, for a runner-up, he's uh He's had his struggles in 2020, and it was really good to see him get to a big final round like that and perform well and get a great payday. And uh, then, as always, uh, at, at the normal flings, not the million, they have uh, the Todd's Extreme MVP, where that racer is rewarded for having the best effort of the week, just overall win lights and how he got it done or she got it done and you know getting close maybe knocking on the door some maybe finishing it off some they take all that in consideration they do a really good job of figuring out the, the one racer that just was in position a lot and raced probably better than anyone there for the length of time that the gates were open and the Todd Extreme MVP from Galat was AJ Ash and AJ got that beautiful uh, helmet painted by Todd's Extreme. The MVP helmet was a super, super beautiful helmet and something you'd never want to wear in a race car and bang off your roll bars and throw in your seat, whatever else. So I'm sure that'll go on the shelf somewhere for AJ and you get a thousand dollar check to go along with it just to, just for racing, you know, the best of anybody else on the grounds for the period of time they were there. So looked like a really good event. I'm not sure what the car count was, but it looked to be um, full or all over full pretty much. And I think 385 is their, their cap number there, maybe 400, whatever it was. It was, uh, it looked like it was right on full. 
Yeah, no, kudos to AJ uh, on stellar performance. I caught bits and pieces of it throughout the weekend, and every time that I tuned in, he was double O and dead on, just making AJ Ash type runs. So cool stuff there. Um, I think I, I guess in all of the love that we threw out for Scotty Richardson and for Nick Folk and for Peter Biondo, um, I don't think that we even mentioned the the surrounding winners uh, from Bristol. So I just uh, throw out shouts to Carolyn McCarty, winner of the opening uh, 30 grander there over Tom Dauber. Uh, the second event was Spencer Massey. Yes, that's Spencer Massey. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the second 30 over um, J.R. Barclay, I believe. And then the, uh, the final race of the weekend, which actually pushed into Sunday, was uh, Josh McDaniel with the win over Billy Lieber. Door cars represented themselves, got two of the four wins, uh, and were in every final. So uh, pretty evenly matched there late in the, in the goings at Bristol. Yeah, really awesome to see Caroline McCarty get uh, get that huge win. She's 17 years old, Luke, driving the, the family truckster there, that, that Rambler wagon, which we all love. Beautiful piece. And um, I hate that Bug wasn't there. Bug going to do a lot of racing, and he said somebody had to stay back and work, and he did. So I'm sure missing that was painful because uh that it's obvious how much that guy loves his kids and and takes good care of them caroline wasn't even gonna get to race her car wasn't there um carol showed up with the dog and the car and surprised her and told her you're gonna get to race and then she just takes it right out there and goes and wins it was really an awesome story and standing there interviewing spencer massey and Spencer, with all that he's done and accomplished in this sport at the level that he's done it, to to say, you know, it, the top field thing, it's all cool, enjoyed it, had a good time. That's kind of a big thing. But he said, this stuff right here is is really much bigger and, and more important. Now, that's debatable, I'm sure, by a lot of people that spend a lot of money. But for Spencer to even get caught up in that moment, winning 30 grand, to that level to to be willing to say that with all that he's done in the sport i thought showed how big you know this is really um how how much it means to people and how hard they fight and work for it and and when you get it done it's just super exciting spencer was obviously jacked and unfortunately i didn't get to to, to hang around i, I left uh, probably an hour or so before josh got his 30 grand win but I know that was a big deal to him too. Josh McDaniel, good guy and a guy that shows up a lot. And it's good to see him kick the door down and get a big 30k win. All in all, it was a it was a great event as you mentioned. A lot of a lot of happy happy winners, and we're about to get into much much more of those as we we travel down the road. Yeah. Hopefully, I'm one of them, Luke. I really need to win. Man, I you and me both. It's I, it's been a minute. I need to win the, the Great American Guaranteed Million No Split to oh. possibly break even on the year. If possible. I'll have to add it up. But <laughs> I think if I can win it with no split, I think I will break even for 2020. Okay. Yeah. Well, again, stranger things have happened. Uh <laughs> Not really. <laughs> If that's the case, I need to put in an application at Caterpillar. Um, <laughs> you're doing something right. Jed, um, I'm going to switch gears on you just briefly and uh, talk about some NHRA news. As we said before, 
I feel like um, I haven't paid as much attention to the national points championships this year as I have in years past. Everything just seems a little bit upside down. This is when I typically nerd out. If you like to nerd out with me, stay tuned. We're not going to do it today, but I think I'm going to have to get Kevin McKenna on the show and we're just going to go complete nerd corner for an hour and break down the potential situations in the Lucas Oil series chase. That said, um, this weekend, there was a couple of results that stood out to me. NHRA National event made its way uh, to near me, uh, Gateway, or the, the racetrack formerly known as Gateway. Yeah. Wide technology raceway at Gateway Motorsports International Park Raceway. I can't keep up, right? But that's what it was. And uh, one bizarre national event, I, I don't. This is becoming sort of a trend. Like Gateway is an awesome place to race. And typically the track's great at national events, but I think it was five years ago, they had all kinds of problems. Uh, the, the best memory of that, Jed, you may remember this. There was a, a video clip of, uh, it was Cole Cummings and Tommy Phillips, and they both almost crashed independently in Super Complex. The track was just awful. And that's always kind of stood out to me. And um, I guess between the cold and the wind, and perhaps some water seeping up through the racetrack. Like they had a really hard time getting that event in. Saw a number of scary, nasty crashes. Um, but on the, the racetrack, like the racing that actually got done once it got done, the, the big result was in Supercomp. And Supercomp has been awesome to watch because the last we talked about Supercomp, Troy Williams Jr. won Indy and threw that haymaker. And I think I said, he's winning the world championship. That's done. Well, it's been haymaker after haymaker since. Troy wins Indy, looks like he's in the driver's seat. Uh, two weeks later, Ray Ray Miller, defending NHRA Super Comp World Champion, rolls into the double divisional at the racetrack formerly known as Gateway. And quarterfinals the first day, wins the second day. Like, oh, <laughs> Ray Ray's back, right? And all of a sudden, uh, it looks like a two-horse race. Meanwhile... Young kid out of Texas, Christopher Dodd, has won three, yes, three NHRA divisional events this year. Hadn't really been to any national events. He rolls into the racetrack formerly known as Gateway for the national event, wins Supercomp. It's mm. haymaker after haymaker after haymaker. The, the world champion is going to be one of those three. On paper, Christopher Dodd looks the best, like probably has the best shot. Ray Ray's the defending champ. You can't bet against him. He's got races left and has been known to perform in the clutch. And Troy, at this point, is still the leader in the clubhouse and has one race left. It's going to be the divisional event at Rockingham. And I would say, just not going too deep into the nerd corner, I would say anything short of a victory at Rockingham, and Troy's probably not going to win the world championship. But if I told you, Jed, one race – Williams Jr. He's got to win the race to win the world. I'm not betting against him. Hmm. No. So that's going to be fascinating to, to watch. And because those three are so good, so capable. Um, and I'll actually, I'll, I'll take credit for the podcast bomb. It was two or three years ago, but we did our picks. I picked Christopher Dodd to win the world. I was a bit premature, but I saw the talent there. Like the kid wrecks the tree. I've said it before, Black and Decker tree record, like straight up. Um, and, and that was on display again this weekend. So, so it, you win three divisionals in a national event, four super comp wins in a season. 
typically that's world championship material. He's got some work yet to do. Uh, but like I say, one of those three is going to win it. And I just, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, another points chase that, that really got crystallized, I think, over the weekend, there was a, a double divisional event at Virginia Motorsports Park. And Brian Warner, who has put together an incredible season to date um, in Superstock, at the two races at Virginia, he won the first, runnered up the second. Those were the last two points meets that he could claim. He's got a couple of national events left. And I don't want to be too premature because I said a month ago that Troy Williams Jr. was going to win the Supercomp World Championship. Uh, it's over, Jed. And <laughs> Warner will grace the stage. He will be your Superstock World Champion. Has Brian won it before? I think Byron. Has I'm won. thinking Byron. Could be. I get him confused, which is not – but Byron actually won the championship one of the years that I won the championship. I'm almost certain it was Byron. I think that will be Brian's first world championship. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry, guys. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, he, he's put on a show this season, and he's got some work left to do. He's got a commanding lead, but he's got to travel to at least one more national event. But I did pull this up. He's entered in Dallas next week and Houston the following week. So, obviously, he understands what's on the table. He's willing to travel to do it. Um, another note from Virginia, Jed, holy Bubba, Bubba Linky, is it Link or Linky? I get that mixed up too. I think it's, uh, I think it's Link. Okay, we'll go with Bubba Link. Bubba was still in the Jag Sports Nationals from Epping, which was completed at Virginia. Plus, there was a double divisional at Virginia. Bubba runnered up all three events. Made it to all three finals, came up short in all three finals, but three runner-ups mm. in a season in which the Stock Eliminator Championship is absolutely wide open, right? Somebody's going to win. Um, Bubba would have a great shot, except he's got those three runner-ups and he's been to one other race. And on the East Coast, there's nothing left. Like, there's not really anywhere he could go unless he's going to hitch up and go to Vegas. I don't really see that. Like, if, if there – I think Bubba's season is a is – a, casualty of the pandemic because if you he's typically a guy that goes to six and eight right mm -hmm. and if you string together three final rounds like you have a legitimate shot at the world championship and i feel like he's been robbed of that just due to the nature of 2020 and the fact that he did all of this winning so late that it's too late to do anything about it right but yeah. i thought that was a notable uh, accomplishment and a couple of family doubles uh from the weekend in virginia Jason Kenny and his father Al double uh, or each hosted a Wally at the first leg of that doubleheader at Virginia. Uh, Jason was the winner in Super Gas. Al, former NHRA World Champion, winner in Top Dragster. Jason, by the way, came back and was runner-up in Super Comp in the second event. And his Super Gas win, like again, Kevin will have to jump on with me and we'll break this down from soup to nuts. But Jason Kenny has a shot to win the Super Gas World Championship now quietly just jumped up there with that win at Virginia and is right in that mix. So I said there was two doubles at Virginia. That was the first leg of the doubleheader, the Kenny family. The second leg of the doubleheader, it's a little bit closer to home. I know for you, Jed. Oh, yeah. Brooke and Steve Foley doubled off. Brooke won top dragster. Steve won stock eliminator at the second leg of that Virginia double division. Yeah, it was good to see uh, my old buddy Steve Foley. He's a foot breaker. Obviously, he does a little bit of everything, but uh, he likes to swap feet with us as much as possible. And it was great to see him take the, the Warren Racing Engines 
um, I guess that's Firebird to uh, to the big win, and and then you know Brooke, she uh, she doesn't get a chance to do nearly as much racing as she would probably like and as she used to, but shows she's still very capable of getting it done in the, in the dragster. So great to see the Foley's get that double up, take uh, two new Wallys back to the house. One thing, I think we've talked about this off air, not sure that we ever have on air. If there's one thing, one opportunity that we have completely missed out on, on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, it's having Steve Foley on the show. Foley yeah. on the, the, one of the early drag champ podcasts, and it was epic. I mean, when he gets on with Fincham, it's great, but Foley alone was, was excellent as well. So we're going to do that at some point. Steve, come on the show. Yeah, we do need to get Steve on. He's a, he's a fun guy, jokester. He is a fun guy. A uh, couple of quick hitters from NHRA as well. We've tried to hit on each of the uh, seven division summit ET finals. Tickets got punched out in division seven last weekend. Tickets punched to Pomona. I mean, Vegas. Vegas is where the summit uh, <laughs> contested in 2020. Division seven's representatives in Super Pro, red hot. David Meyer. David Meyer. Uh, on the, probably had as good a season as anyone on the West Coast and short of, I don't know, Hunter Patton and Charlie Lockhart, maybe putting together as good a season as anyone in the country, continued that with a Super Pro win at the ET Finals. David Meyer is your Division Seven representative in Super Pro. In Pro, uh, Chase Trimp was the winner over Robert Glass. Glass, by the way, also won the Pro Race of Champions. And I guess there is some debate I didn't even know that this was a thing. Like, I don't know how you run the bracket finals if you're not an NHRA member. Somehow or another, Ch Chase Trimp's um, like membership has been called into question. Like, he didn't have it paid up in time. And my understanding is that he's not going to be able now to represent Division Seven at the oh. World Championship runoff, which again seems kind of bizarre. I would assume that that nod's going to go to Robert Glass if that's the case. I just I saw a couple of posts and, and threads about this today. I'm not super clear on it, but yeah, that. If so, like, what a kick in the gut, right? Yeah. Uh, to both of those guys. Sportsman uh, Udo Richter uh, will be the Division Seven rep. And in bikes, uh, Tom Medlin. And Medlin also not only won the main event, also was runner-up in the Race of Champions. So that is your Division Seven roster for the Summit ET World Championship runoff. Again, contested in Las Vegas in 2020. One other quick note, I guess I'm going to have to eat some crow here, Jed. <laughs> NHRA and Camping World have agreed to a multi-year contract. That didn't take long, did it? No, it didn't. It's power of social media, Luke. Perhaps my pessimism was a bit unwarranted. I guess I, uh, I should have taken Marcus Limonis at his word. Um, congrats to the NHRA and, uh, and kudos to Camping World for not only uh, putting that together, I, I don't know the details of the agreement, nor is it any of our business, but just I don't think it's typical for things like that to happen in, what, a week's time. And by all accounts, uh, start on Twitter, because a Twitter conversation. But that's how this happens. So uh, kudos to everybody involved for uh, connecting the dots and actually putting that together. It's something that uh, obviously I was uh, I was not bullish on, and uh, so but I think it's awesome. Good for the sport. Yeah, it's awesome, and um, certainly make me want to 
to shop at Camping World a little more often, and knowing that they're willing to step up and, and support the, the sport that I love and care about a lot. And Luke, I'm not sure how this will affect the NHRA's um, lawsuit against Coca-Cola. Will they will they continue on with it? Will they just go, you know what, somebody stepped in, take care of this, so we're just going to forget about it? I don't know, but I do want to say that a very good friend of mine works for Coca-Cola. You know, they have several different offspring type companies, but um, Coca-Cola is, is the main, is the company that that he works for, regardless of what his local, the name of his company is, it's like Coca-Cola bottling and Coca-Cola this, Coca-Cola that. But anyway, he listens to the podcast and he said, Hey, I just, just want to let you know, you know, I, I understand that that didn't look right with what they did, but you never really know how these things go down. And he said, I, I know that Coca-Cola pretty much sent, multiple thousands people home during this pandemic uh, because their obviously their business was affected heavily um think about how much coca-cola product is consumed and distributed at sporting events uh for that to just go away i mean i can only imagine how devastating that was for coca-cola company um and then you think you know, the NHRA and having people in the fans and, and 23 events or whatever we got on the schedule and for that to kind of go away as well. And you can't even sell your product at the events that you are sponsoring. Um, so, yeah, I would say the financial impact to them was significant. And I don't know what went on behind the scenes between Coca-Cola and the NHRA, but obviously it didn't go well. And you don't know what they asked for to could we get some concession or what have you. So I don't think I did. I, I would like to go back and listen. I don't think I painted them or either of us painted them in, in a negative light for exiting their agreement with NHRA. But, you know, I imagine they made the decision that was best for their company and for the amount of employees that they were able to retain and keep working during all this. So just a bad deal, real bad deal, but hopefully we didn't make them sound like the, the villain in all of this. I love Coca-Cola. I mean, I could drink one right now if I had one. As I said, uh, the last time that we recorded Jed, there are two sides to every story. And I just feel like as racers, as patrons to some extent of NHRA, we are hearing one side of the story and, and want to align ourselves with one side of the story. So I'm sure that there's more to it. Um, let's switch gears one more time before we get out of here, Jed. Let's take a look ahead. We've got, again, as we started the show, about 24 hours removed from Spring Fling Million, less than 24 hours before time trials test and tune begins at the great american guaranteed million so that's what's next we're headed to memphis this weekend you'll be there i'll be there on a scale of one to ten how fired up are you for the great american guaranteed million luke i'm very excited and very sad at the same time because okay. my, my schedule at work and life just isn't allowing me to to go and spend a week here and a week there and was everything I could do to to get to Bristol 
by Thursday morning and get started. My work schedule this week is even more challenging. So I won't be able to leave until Thursday afternoon, which means I will just get to go run. I will just get to go run for a million dollars Friday and hopefully Saturday if I can hang around and get to listen to my 14 year old do some announcing and a guaranteed million dollar race. So I'm jacked about it, but I'm also um, a little bit sad that I'm not going to get to enjoy the entire event because Britt and Galen and, and their team have done an amazing job with this. They promoted it extremely well. I think they've got everybody excited. And Luke, they're paying a million freaking dollars no matter what. So yes, that's, that's exciting, man. I mean, a guy where, where I come from and, and what I grew up, racing and and where i grew up racing i'm about to go race later this week for a million dollars i mean a real million guaranteed it's unbelievable dude on a on the scale of one to ten i'm at an 11 and i think i've been there for about the last month like i am so fired up for this race and for all of the the same reasons that you just mentioned i mean <laughs> We just watched the atmosphere, the electricity around the late rounds at the Spring Fling Million. And it's like that every year, right? Like it is awesome. It is prestigious. And you just, you, there's just an electricity in the air knowing how much money these guys are competing for. Like it's, it's just cool to be a part of. It's awesome to actually be a part of as a racer. You and I have both lived that to some extent. It's just cool to be there and watch it unfold. And I can only imagine, I mean, I was not at the, the SFG 1.1 million a few months back. I mean, when it got to the split round at Bristol, I think that the racers had like $465,000 to split up. That's 70. Okay. Times that by almost three. And that's what they're going to be dealing with on Saturday night. That's what potentially we are going to be dealing with Saturday night. I mean, when you split rounds, it's going to be like $1.2 million. You know, Luke, something I'm interested in, and, and this was this was put out to everybody, so I'm not telling any secrets, but the the SFG 1.1, the winner got $400,000. Um, that was his cut. And I, I think what's cool about that and what's got me intrigued about how it's going to go down at Memphis is – I think that kind of set the bar because nobody really knew what you'd race for. I, myself, I said the winner would leave there with a quarter million. Well, the runner up left with that kind of money or then some. So I think that bar has been set. So it's going to be interesting to me because I believe that's going to be the gauge in which people will, will go by as they start working this deal in Memphis. So I, I'm wondering, are they going to try to make more than that? Are they going to try to go slick with it and go 400? Or is it going to be a little less? That's, but I don't think it's going to change much. No, I don't see it altering a lot. I do think there is potential, just given the, the structure of the event. Because while the, the winner's purse is similar, um, the, the structure of, say, the SFG 1.1 versus this event is almost as, as opposite as they could be. I mean, the, the entry fee for 
Memphis this weekend is almost double. It is double, I think, what, what you could pre-enter the SFG yep. one for. Um, and the car count is limited. Like, I just, I don't, I think it's wrong to say that it's a different market. It's a different clientele. But I do think to some extent, like, what you're going to have in Memphis is the complete, like, ballers. Like, the elite of the elite. And it wouldn't surprise me if, like, I don't, there's nobody that's going to say we're racing for a million bucks. Like, that's not going to happen. Let's get that out of the way. But it wouldn't shock me if the cut wasn't as generous down the line. And this paid, even though there's probably a little bit less in the total pot because 1.1 versus 1 million, like, that doesn't sound like a big difference. But for those of you that aren't really good at math, it's $100,000, right? That's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Payback in Memphis is awesome. So perhaps, you know, if you have that discussion at 20 cars, maybe that that grand total number isn't much different. Like I haven't gone through the math. The payback at Memphis is phenomenal. Um, But I could just see this getting cut up to where the winner walks with half a million or 450 or something like that. Like I could see it being a, a bigger purse. I could also see it mirroring it. I can't really see it getting cut up to where like, everybody that's in at eight gets a hundred grand and the winner gets 225 or something. Like I don't, I don't foresee that happening. Uh, I, I agree. I, I think it's going to match what Cisco actually walked with or really close to it. Um, to your point earlier. Yeah, no, like just the, forget the financial aspect of it, just the logistics of trying to go to all of these events. It's a lot. And I, I'm, I was in your boat at Bristol. Like I rolled in, Thursday night to race. My, my intention was to just race the Friday million. And I'll tell you, man, it's a, uh, it's a different feeling. Like I felt like a baller, like, yeah, I, those, <laughs> get, I can't get motivated for those, man. But the 375. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in for that. Right. <laughs> You're rolling in to race for a million. Yeah. Yeah. Which is going to look, yeah, it's going to look way different than I want it to uh, because believe me, I want to be there for those forties and, whatever else they're doing i want to race all that but it just isn't possible yeah you know, um, when i when i entered this thing i felt like you know i would be there for every bit of it but i did not anticipate the spring playing million happening the week prior and you know i didn't anticipate a, a change a title change at work that was going to to cause me to have to be around a little more often right now so a lot of things change for me, so it's going to look like, oh, gee, I think he's just going to roll in here and run the million and go home. He, he thinks he's hey, that good. I really don't think I'm that good, but I'm darn sure going to go try to be that good. <laughs> I was amazed. I rolled into Bristol, and I, I text Seifel. I'm like, so there's a new entry time trial tomorrow morning. Like, you're not going to have four people in that, but I have two of them, right? So you're just going to have to wait on me. There was like 18 of us. I wasn't the <laughs> right like kb just rolled in for friday mark kelly's got two entries for friday randy biddle like there was a bunch of us that just rolled in for the big show yep yeah i was surprised by that amount as well but i admit like when i rolled up there for my new entry time and i had my chest poked out a little bit like yeah i ain't afraid i'm here (laughs) i've been practicing for three days i don't need all that turns out i needed all that more but yeah it's uh it it is it's an interesting dynamics first time i'd ever done anything like that so um (laughs) okay i want to talk a little bit uh, just from a, an X's and O's standpoint and kind of get into the weeds a little bit about what I expect in terms of like the differences 
the different dynamics of the two back-to-back -back events from, from Bristol to Memphis. And then I want to close out the show by kind of revisiting some of our bold predictions from the last episode and seeing how we may have already like completely blown those out of the water in some mm. cases. In some cases, we might have a shot for them to come through. First off, Bristol versus Memphis. We opened the show talking about Scotty Richardson's unique skill set and how Bristol really plays to that skill set. Scotty, Nick Folk, uh, on down the line, right? And, and just lights out upper echelon finish line drivers because, as we said, Bristol's just a unique place. It's difficult. It's, it's uncommon, I guess, for cars to just make Xerox time slips like we would see elsewhere, right? Like Bristol's just, it's an altitude track. There's typically, I mean, when we saw it last weekend, like when I woke up Friday morning, I think it was 42 degrees. And at one point it was 70, you know what I mean? Like yeah. couldn't wear enough clothes. And then you had a t-shirt on later in the afternoon. And it just, it's just, a, it's a tricky place. Like it's a difficult place to make good runs. And so that finish line skill set comes more into play. So we saw Scotty do well. We saw Nick do well. It's a place where I would expect Kevin Brandon to shine. Uh, Jeff Sarah was deep, was in the million, like the Williams brothers, the, the guys that are just notoriously unbelievable at that end of the racetrack. That skill set, I don't think, at least in my opinion, is not as important at Memphis. Memphis is one of those places where historically it's really for lack of a better term, easy to make good runs. Like it is going to be sub 10 package after sub 10 package after sub 10 package. It's a place it's easy to hit the tree. The weather doesn't swing a lot. The track is always phenomenal. Like you just see a bunch of low dead ons. And so I think in theory, at least the edge now goes like the difference is going to be not, it's not going to be decided by those who are superhuman at the finish line. There's more of an edge for those that are superhuman at the starting line. It's going to be, at least in my opinion, this is going to be the race won, not only by the driver that doesn't vary much on the tree, but is willing to set up unbelievably tight and not very much on the tree. Like your Black and Decker tree wreckers look good at Memphis. So like the odds on favorite to me, we discussed him earlier in the show, Peter Biondo, I texted him earlier, he's not coming. Okay, like Peter would be the guy, right? The, because there is no one more aggressive, more willing to like, yeah, it was just two. So I think I'll pull a thou out. That should be good. And I'll be one, right? Like that's some of the stuff that Peter could do. Another one that can and had it on display at Bristol is Anthony Bertozzi. Um, throw out some, some names that just guys that really impressed me on the starting line that wouldn't shock me if they went super deep, particularly at Memphis. Chris Cadle, Black and Decker, Black and Decker tree record. Bryson Scruggs, young Bryson, has been wrecking the tree. I don't know if Ray Ray's coming. Ray Ray Miller crushes the trees. Like his, particularly in Super Comp, like you can't bump down. And that dude, when he won that divisional at, at uh, Gateway, the track formerly known as Gateway, a couple weeks ago, unbelievable. Like I don't think he was worse than eight. And uh, another one that just it really impresses me on the starting line, he didn't have a great weekend at Bristol, but he's unreal up front is from the West Coast, Marco Paravalaris. AJ is another one that just wrecks the tree. Like somebody like that, if, if you were going to lay odds, like I would think it's someone that I've seen just group together, not only like six runs within five thou on the tree. It's one thing to be 10 to 15, six consecutive times. When you roll that hundredth out and like you're set up low double O and have to be low double O and continue letting go, 
within that precise window, like there's not many people that can do that. And the people that I just named, there's probably a dozen more. Like it wouldn't shock me at all if they just rattled off low double O after low double O after low double O. And I think that's what it'll take to win in Memphis. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more, Luke. And and I never even really considered that how different the two races could look. But the fact that you think about stuff like that and then you you shine a light on it, you're absolutely right. It's this is going to be time shot city. Um, this is going to be cars. I, I'm looking now at the forecast. Your your lows in the in the mid to upper seventies. I mean, your highs in the mid to upper 70s and your lows in the mid to upper 60s. Yeah, you're I mean, talking 10, 12 degree swing from the hottest to the coolest. And you can double enter, same car, same driver. Like that's going to make the, make it tighter because people yes. are getting more shots down the track and similar cars. Like it's going to be a bloodbath. Yes, this is going to be ridiculously tight racing. And, you know, you just got to hope you pull up in the lanes and avoid that guy or gal because i we'll, we'll get to that bold prediction but <laughs> that's going to lay you down that single digit package you talk about sub 10 packages i mean there's going to be now that you mentioned it and i think about it, there's going to be sub 10 packages that lose oh yeah no that's my that's oh i hope that I'm able to execute the game plan. But in my mind, the game plan is to lay down like seven or eight as often as possible and hope to hell that it's not beside four or five. <laughs> it's just, that's what I predict. That's what I anticipate going into the weekend. Like, I just think it's going to be really, really precise because I feel like Memphis was like that a decade ago and our, and our equipment has done nothing but improve since. So it's just one of those places that for whatever reason, it seems to be relatively easy to make good runs, which is I don't race that way. I don't race that good, Luke. I, I, <laughs> I might need to sell my entry. <laughs> I don't mean to be intimidating. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got me. I was excited about going and racing for a million dollars, but now you got me thinking everybody beside me is going to be, you know, 12 or better pack in their door car. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's scary. Like Rare, but. I don't know if you heard my my dragon noise. <laughs> you need to I, need to roll that out. Maybe I'm gonna say if at the head of staging you're paired up and you release the jet dragon, <laughs> your opponent will not be sub eight total. Well, I'm not. If I don't tell them it's jet dragon, I don't think they'll know it's a dragon because I think <laughs> as I've listened to it a few times, I, again I think it was more of a bobcat like a scared bobcat i was trying to do a dragon but i think i was scared bobcat had that 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 big cat hiss to you didn't you i did have a kind of a big cat noise screech if you will and uh, <laughs> i really missed on the dragon I've... my wife my wife's sitting in the bed folding clothes right now and she's giving me the the cut it sign like please don't please don't do your dragon on the podcast jenny mo's like <laughs> Have you worked on it? Do you feel like you've moved since you unleashed the dragon on, on Friday? I didn't. I haven't even tried it again because, I, I you know, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. It was not a dragon. I mean, this was all brought on by the one, the only, Chet Dragon. Correct? Yes. Yes. When, I, when, J, when Chet Dragon came to the line, I, 
I said, you know, if I wish that I could do a dragon sound because that's what I would do for him. Like when he came up, I'd play like a dragon sound that, or, you know, do it over the microphone. And then and I made an attempt at it and <laughs> it wasn't good. It wasn't good. I was, I think I was half asleep laying on the couch in my motorhome listening to either the, the PA or the live feed. And I, I kind of sprung up when you went Jed Dragon. And I'd, I, th- you know, I, I had been somewhat comprehending the, 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 the conversation leading up to that. So I knew that it was in reference to Chet. And I immediately, like, that's a dragon. Like, after listening to it, you know, because they replayed it at nauseum. <laughs> the and i and i agree upon replay i'm like yeah that that's that's more of a big cat but <laughs> i had no question i'm like I'm right there yeah so yeah I, I said my my call my my growl or whatever my, my roar was probably more fitting if a racer was named like steve bobcat <laughs> chet dragon it did not fit <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I'll give you credit, man, to come into that unrehearsed, off the huff, off the cuff. It was, it was very impromptu, unrehearsed, and it was a huge failure. I can't believe that Chet Dragon didn't make our bold predictions on some level. Seems like you know, I just, I never even thought about Chet being there. I mean, I just thought I didn't think Chet was going to show up for the million. I didn't think that was his style, but Chet was there, baby. It was. It was all in. All right, so let's quickly revisit bold predictions on my end. Uh, I said Matt Dattis would win something big. That didn't happen in Bristol, and uh, I got a little bit of insight, a little behind the scenes. Matt is not coming to Memphis. So if Matt Dattis is going to win something big, it's going to have to be at the OG Million. I got faith that that can happen, but I'm just going to say, like, odds, not great that that one's going to come true. Not coming to Memphis. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I got uh, Lee Neumeyer's bachelor party this weekend. Speaks to... Uh, Matt Dattis, the man, Matt Dattis, the friend. Like, yeah, you know, sure. I, I could probably go win a million, but I don't want to miss my buddy's bachelor party. Probably... All right, so on your end, uh, female wins the guaranteed million. That's absolutely still in play. Still, I'm still hoping that happens. Yes. Okay, so that looks good. Or, you know, as good as it did when you said it. Uh, I said, re- we both said repeat winner at the OG million. That's still a couple weeks off. Uh, I did say someone makes it to the semis or better at two of the three main events. So at this point, the horses that I have to make that prediction come true at either Memphis and or Montgomery are Scotty Richardson, Nick, Kyle Coltrane. Okay, it, it's hard to make it to the semis one of those events, but I like my chances. I got three pretty good horses there. Yeah, you don't have a you don't have a bad option in that. I mean, it's, no. to think uh, first of all, you know, you got to think you need your semis from the first one to attend the next two, and I think you're you're definitely going to get that. So that runs your odds up a little bit, and then the fact that that's three of the best racers in the game, uh, I think that runs your odds up. So I would say that one's got a good shot not a good shot but it's got a fair shot at happening yeah yeah i don't i don't think you could lay significant odds on any one or in this instance any three racers to get that deep in one of those events but at the same time i think it would surprise no one if you saw any of those three names in late 
at Memphis or at Montgomery. So um, we'll see what happens there. Uh, let's see. I said that uh, the OG Million that has a typical or bigger crowd in the surrounding events that this year at 50 Granders. Again, we're a couple of weeks away on that. Um, you said that no racer will win more than one day during this stretch of races, and that's what, uh, 12 events, 12 separate events. So far, you're looking good. We've got four different winners from Bristol. Yeah, that's right. And um, I don't know that there was anyone that was like really deep twice at Bristol, was there? Oh, I don't remember that. No, I don't remember anyone that, that made a run at any of the 30s that was uh, deep in the million, so. I think the closest would be uh, perhaps Corey Manuel. I want to say he was down to like nine cars in one of the 30 granders. And I think he lost at nine in the million. He's probably yeah, somebody said if, if there was an MVP for, uh, for the spring playing million, it would have been Corey Manuel hands down. So I agree with that. He went a lot of rounds. Um, okay. And then I said the uh, West coast would be felt. Um, I said that a, uh, a quote unquote West coast, which, those of us on the East Coast, again, the, the term West Coast is pretty broad. When I say that, I mean west of the Rockies. And um, to your point earlier, um, almost got there. Shane Thompson lost at five to Scotty in the million. I still think that there's a pretty good chance that we get some Western representation. I know uh, Chris Whitfield is making his way to Memphis. I believe the kids are making their way to Memphis. Dustin Wirtz was in late uh, in yesterday's 30 grander. A lot of talent on the West Coast. I still uh, I still think I got a punter's chance at, uh, at making that one come true. Yeah, I would agree. I think uh, there's going to be plenty of West Coast um, influence in those races. So um, I, I believe that's probably going to have the best chance of happening out of everything we talked about. But Shane Thompson just nearly got it done in the first race. So he, he was 15 red there at five. And uh, he told me, he said, I knew I met it coming on. He said, I, I actually have 15 in the bump up because I'll do this from time to time. And he said, I tried to hit it and missed it. Oh, wow. Uh, so had he got the bump up, he would have left perfect. And probably mm -hmm. the rest is history. But one of them tough deals. How great. I was in a, I was in a spot where I, I couldn't hear all of those post round interviews there it was kind of spotty where where I was my, my vantage point from Bristol but just from what I gathered of it is there a better post-race interview personality than Anthony Bertozzi <laughs> probably not I mean I just caught bits and pieces and I'm like that is so vintage Bertozzi yeah he, he just man he's just loving life out there having fun and he wasn't you know and, and we all know Anthony's done well in life so i don't think the money changes things very much for him uh it it would have changed a lot of lives and did change some lives but it probably wouldn't have changed his but he just i mean he's just having fun he just loves the moment and he's a he's a cut up no matter how serious it is or how big the stakes are he's just out there having a good time he'd, he'd get out of the car and say i say what you think he was but i don't know dog i just let go and <laughs> you know, hope hope that bleepity bleep turns green <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know nick bolt was on pins and needles i, I man i gotta know I, he said i can't stand not knowing i, I gotta see that ticket you gotta give it to him like nick they won't let me give it to you man it's just it, it's part of the game it's like man you gotta give it to him. 
Anthony, I don't know, dog. I just let go and hope that bleepity bleep turns green. <laughs> at, at one point, he was awesome. Correctly, did did you ask Anthony what he was set up on? He's like, yeah, I've set up negative seventeen. Hoping I miss it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, I think he said something like negative eighteen and uh, <laughs> planning on the miss, dog. <laughs> if they give me thirty minutes, I go down and cook that steak for you. <laughs> you don't have thirty minutes, Anthony. So go get ready. Keep racing. Leave it to A.B. Not only does he get to, to five in the million, get a healthy cut, he was sitting on the buy when they made the split, and I believe that that paid dividends in some nature. Plus, the way that they do the uh, the Calcutta, which they don't call it the Calcutta, it's the, was it the Mosier? Last man standing. Right, I, I got to get the sponsor plug in there. I'm, I'm channeling my inner Jed. Yeah. So, Moser Engineering, last man standing. Go, all right. <laughs> It's a, the way that they've always done it, it's a random draw. Well, guess who randomly drew Scotty Richardson's name? Yeah. <laughs> so so the, the rich get richer. And A.B. had a good day. Yeah, Shane Carr, Sugar had Shane Thompson. And uh, when they got both, they, when they both got deep, real deep, they actually made a, a little deal, um, Anthony and, and sugar but anthony still had the last man standing so he got the lion's share of that that ten thousand dollar payday so i mean he had money he money was coming from everywhere he didn't even know why he was winning all of it he was winning <laughs> why are you handing me this <laughs> yeah what i went it for dog <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, jed if we can't be remiss uh, it would be remiss to leave out your uh, your final bold prediction and it's one that uh, is looking good through week one Hunter Patton does not win any of the main event million races. Uh, Hunter didn't make the split at Bristol. He, he was in fairly late, fourth, fifth round, probably the round before the split, maybe two rounds before the split. Yeah, uh, Hunter got beat up on by Pete. Uh, he didn't. Um, he didn't go real deep in any of the races. I'm sure my bold prediction has gotten back to him. I was going to ask if you've gotten any any feedback on that. Hunter and I kind of uh, fist dabbed a little bit, uh, give him a hey, how you doing? And he, the very first time I saw him during the week, he kind of gave me that little uh, uh, poop eating smirk, little side like, eye, like I know I know what you said, <laughs> and uh, and I'm gonna show you. He hadn't shown me yet, but again, it was not what I want to happen. It's just a bold prediction. So yeah. there is a difference if I was said, I hope Hunter don't win. I really did. I don't hope Hunter don't win. I, I'd love to see Hunter win. But my prediction was that he wouldn't because he's had an amazing year, and I'm just not sure that it's going to continue on this stage. But uh, and he never addressed it between the two of us. It, uh, it, it speaks to the season that he's had that you could single out any one person and say that they are not going to win one of the three biggest races in the world. And that would be considered a bold prediction. But the, yeah. the season that honors had to say that he's not going to win is, is relatively bold because he's won everywhere else. That's right. And I do feel like I, whether it is the result of that early season performance directly, or it's just, the cyclical nature of our sport. I, I feel like I watched, uh, it seemed like every time I tuned in to Galat, 
Hunter was on the starting line. And then I heard a couple of his runs uh, from Bristol this weekend, and he's run into a lot of buzz saws. Like, I know there was a perfect run beside him at Galat. I think the next time he staged, his opponent was five total. Like, there's just been a lot of that in the other lane. Like I say, I don't know if you can directly attribute that to the reputation that he's developed for himself or if it's just, like, that's kind of the way that things cycle around. But one way or another, like, he's had a, he's had a rough go of it recently. Yeah, he has run into some tough opponents and tough runs, and I think uh, Hunter admittedly has made a mistake or two that's uh, that's got him come up short on a particular round here and there. So um, he's going, as you said, a cyclical. He's going through one of those phases, but you know he could very well come out of it. This is, I believe, this is Hunter's type of race coming up. You know, um, let go on time and trust your equipment. Yeah, you might can cover the dial, but you're not going to be able to cover it stupid. And, you know, you've got some spray. You've got all the tricks you need in case you do drop a 20 and your opponent can go 5,000 under and you send them through 5,000 under. So um, this this might be more along the lines of what Hunter's best at. So wouldn't surprise me at all if we see him come out of this uh, – uh, silly word for it, slump. He's not in a slump, but come out of this uh, little bad stretch uh, okay, so in Memphis and get paid. You've famously predicted Hunter not to win. Give me one name who will win Memphis. Oh, goodness. You know, there's there's a ton of talent in that part of the country that don't make their way east a lot. So, you know, I would think – you're going to get a lot more Texas influence in Louisiana in this event, but you're also going to have some Midwest talent. But even that being said, this could be, this could be a Johnny Ezel breakout right here. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Ezel likes to hold a bunch and, and do some tricky things, but, you you get him somewhere where he knows exactly what he's running every time down the racetrack because I think that caught up with him a couple of times this week, not knowing exactly what he's running. You you give him one where he knows exactly what he's running every time. Johnny's uh, Johnny's hard to handle, so I, that wouldn't surprise me to see Johnny Ezel put his name on a on a big check. His game is so unique because he does hold more than just about everyone at the racetrack, not named Jeff Sarah, right? Impressive. <laughs> but I tend to think, and, and I, I honestly like having, and I've said this before on the podcast, having staged beside Johnny a lot, I think his like recognition of the game is a step above mine because there's things that he does that I'm like, why did he do that? And it works like repeatedly. Um, but my impression is that despite the fact that he's holding more than just about anyone at the racetrack, I, my perception is that his game is, is relatively spot-based in that he is getting back to a number. And to your point, like where you would think everything that I said about Memphis before doesn't necessarily lend itself to someone like Johnny, who is in that upper echelon of elite finish line drivers, doesn't necessarily lend itself to his skill set. I kind of think in a sneaky way it does. And He's had a ton of success at that facility in recent years. That was actually a name that popped into my head when we were saying bold predictions for who's actually going to win the race. Since you took it, uh, I'll go elsewhere. I'll just lean back on 
starting line prowess. Like I, I'm tempted to go out on a limb and, and say somebody like I mentioned earlier, like a, a Bryson Scruggs or a Marco Paravalaris. Um, I'll go maybe just a little bit more, um, I don't want to say mainstream, but a, a name that more people would probably uh, roll off the tip of their tongue. Uh, I'll go with Peeps. Peeps, uh, I don't, you were up there announcing most of it. The string of reaction times that he rattled off in Bristol last weekend, if he's got that in him for another week, um, the, he's going to be hard to handle. Yep, that's a very good choice. And, um, you know, Peeps subject to win anytime, anywhere. But again, you, you give him a, a consistent weather pattern where he's not having to quote unquote guess any. Yeah, he, he's going to hit the tree and he don't make a lot of mistakes at the finish line. So peeps be hard to handle. Luke, the, the, the racers, two racers come to mind here, and I'm not sure if they're coming. If they are, um, they're going to be, this is their kind of race. And that's uh, Chris Bear and, and Randy Shire. Um, those guys make nasty runs when you give them a surface and a weather pattern that's consistent like that. So uh, those guys are going to make it. It'd be a couple to watch. It's scary how much we're on the same page right now because the three that I narrowed down to were Peep Cizo and Chris Bear. Like, yeah. So we've probably put the kiss of death on each of them. They won't. I guess. <laughs> but I, I, we're very much on the same page. Yeah, so should be a lot of fun to watch. All right, that's all I got on my notes. Are you ready to wrap this up? I am ready to wrap it up. That's, uh, this is episode 199 coming to a close. Good stuff. Great talk. Uh, hopefully producer Mark is uh, still awake. We have kept him up extremely late on the East Coast. Sorry, Mark. We love you, brother. I see that we're um, recording. We might have to wake him up to stop, but I think we're good. Yeah, it's a, it's a, we, we, we gas bagged a little bit, but most of this was good, relevant, uh, timely discussion. So I had a blast. It was a good time, but it is coming to a close uh, loop. And I want to say thank you to the great sponsors that helped bring the show to you. We certainly hope that you look to them as often as you can for the products and services that they offer. And um, we, uh, we hope that you reach out to us through the social media channels that we have. Please, uh, chat with us there we had a lot of hashtag loyal listener on the uh, sportsman drag racing podcast facebook page thank you to all of you that at least claim to be a loyal listener hopefully all of you are it was good stuff tried to respond to each and every one of you so we appreciate that certainly uh, reach out to us with any other thing that you want to talk about or, or chat about or that we did right did wrong not enough of or too much of just message us right there on the sportsman drag racing podcast facebook page or make a post for everybody to see we'd love to hear from you and um, Luke and I both are very active on the Twitter. He looks at it about every couple hours. I look at it about every nine days. So uh, <laughs> reach out to us there. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. We'd really like to hear from you there as well. All kidding aside, I try to look at it every couple of days. So check us out there. Say something um, about the show and, and try to bring some attention to it or just call us out on something that we said dumb or one of these crazy bowl predictions or whatever you got. Luke, are there shouts this week? A short list, but yes. Uh, for a second consecutive episode, I will shout out Marcus Limonis. Um, I was giving him, a, yeah, I was giving him a different kind of credit last week. Now I'm actually grateful. Like, thank you for getting involved in, uh, in NHRA and, and, and uh, I guess further ensuring uh, that, you know, NHRA is going to be a thing. Like I, yeah. 
know that that's seriously been in doubt this year, but there's been times it's felt like that. And uh, having a, a title rights sponsor secured for multiple seasons, I think it makes us all feel a little bit better. So shouts to him. Shouts to uh, Scotty Richardson and his Yeehaw or Yahoo or Big Woo or however you describe it. That was good. That was good. Shouts to John D, uh, former guest here on the podcast. You said earlier that according to John D, it was the first door car final in sprinkling history. Listen, if John D says it, it is. Yeah. No doubt about that. So shouts to Johnny D. And of course, uh, I can't let this go without shouting out not only Chet Dragon, but Jed Dragon. And producer Mark, I don't know if you can work any magic. I don't can get Jed to do it live. But there's a way that you can pull up that quick hitter of Jed Dragon. Uh, this would be the optimal spot for that. I actually have it on my messenger. Somebody sent it to me. I'll send it to you, Mark. If you can work it in, work it in. <laughs> I think we can work it in. <laughs> I might roar like a dragon when I come out of the burnout. Just get me tuned up, crush the tree. That was it. I just nailed that. That was it. I felt like a dragon. All right. Good stuff, Luke, as always. Guys, thank you. I want to shout out, lastly, he'll probably listen to this point because he listens to all of them. He always says, Dad, you said this or that. And I'm like, oh, son, I didn't know you were going to hear that. But really proud of my boy, um, JJ, 14 years old. I heard so many times this weekend, man, I don't know if that was you announcing or him announcing because he sounds just like you. He's not the cute kid on the mic anymore. He's uh, he sounds like a grown man. <laughs> you know, he's just 14, but he's uh, he's a lot closer to, to my voice and my style than he's ever been. And uh, I got to sit back and listen to him quite a bit this weekend. Just really enjoyed it. So, but if you're listening this long, uh, I love you and I'm proud of you and want to give you a special shout out too because uh, you, you made your old man proud this weekend. Yeah, no, I'll echo that, Jed. Uh, JJ was awesome. Uh, it was a pleasure to listen to, and uh, I was the sender of one of those texts. I actually found it a bit disturbing, if we're going to be completely honest, because I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> JJ is not a kid anymore. And it just made me think, like, my kid is not going to be a kid forever. You know, it's, uh, it's yeah, I, I didn't like it, to be completely honest. But the more that I listened, the more I thought, man, I, we knew that JJ had a lot of, of talent shoot what five years ago and uh but it's just getting more refined and he's just sounds so much more comfortable and i don't know what the future holds for your son and 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 i i think it brings i think it lends itself to much bigger things than than announcing drag races but man is he good at it and it's it's a lot of fun well i appreciate that very much but he uh he he did an awesome job and and he's obviously growing up and and he's not a cute kid anymore maybe <laughs> your text really just summed up the way I feel about it so well you, you said you know I, I still can't get used to the way he sounds or ever how you said it and you said you know to be honest I don't like it one bit <laughs> so that's where I'm at I, everybody told me to enjoy all that cute kid stuff and I, I probably didn't do as good a job as I need to of soaking that in because now you know he, he he talks about big boy stuff and he don't want to get in the floor and play hot wheels anymore he just just want to go to the races and call laps and he's 
uh, itching to get in the car and, and do some racing is is starting to become that age and that time. So um, just be the next chapter in life that we'll enjoy together and learn ways to to soak that in without all that darn cuteness that we used to have. So sorry I gas bagged about that a little long, but anyway, just want to shout out my boy. He did an awesome job. Looking forward to listening to him call some laps at, at a race that guarantees a million dollars. He won't have any idea what he's a part of. He he won't be able to understand it. He knows it's big, but it'll be fun to listen to him get to do some work. I want to say thanks to Britt and Galen for giving him that opportunity because that's going to happen here in a few days. So that wraps us up, guys. It's 199 in the books. 200 is next. Uh, we'll be talking about the Great American Guaranteed Million and, and all of the uh, happenings that, that went on there and the big winners and any kind of drama or anything else we can scoop up. So we look forward to talking to you about that. Maybe we have a little special something as well since it's going to be episode 200. We thank you for tuning in. And we will be back together next week talking to you about huge, huge racing and as much sportsman drag racing as we can. Have a great week. Are you ready to make your car better? I said, are you ready to make your car better? Today's bracket racing scene is more competitive and more precise than it's ever been. You've got to light up the scoreboard dead on with great regularity to win. But today's cars have so many moving parts. Suspension, tires, torque converters, carburetors, fuel curve, data acquisition. It can be overwhelming. Thankfully, your friends at This Is Bracket Racing are on it. We have combined 10 of our most useful, most impactful lessons into one incredible tech master course. 10 individual lessons, more than 90 minutes of instruction, normally a $110 value, yours today for the master course price of just $49. Learn more, check it out, thisisbracketracing.com slash dead on, all one word, thisisbracketracing.com slash D-E-A-D-O-N, dead on. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And, and, and you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing uh, our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest uh, edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. Jed and I are proud to partner with Bill Taylor Enterprises. That's BTE here within the podcast. Neither of us, Jed or myself, are strangers to BTE products, services, or customer service. I've personally been using BTE transmissions and converters exclusively since 1998. Um, That's 20 years. BTE has quite literally powered every race, every championship, every round that I've won for my entire adult life. My point, they build products that I depend on. BTE builds products that Jed depends on. BTE builds products that you can depend on. Whether it's a complete top dragster or or top sportsman power glide transmission, a torque converter designed for your specific combination, or any transmission component or bolt-on item, the folks at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed in today's ultra-competitive world of sportsman drag racing. Shop online at BTE Racing dot com.
We're a special breed with special needs, but we all came to party. No friends on the track, but in the pits we know the truth. And this is a way of life, if it's the only thing that we do. It's always the Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.